turn with me, if you would, to Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 1. Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy, and so on. Uh, Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. When we come to the epistles of Paul and the writings of the apostles, we are given an insight into something of the early church. The church, 20 uh, years, 30 years, 40 years after the death of Christ and his rising again. We are given insights into what the church was like. <clears throat> different churches, just as there are today, different churches. Church in Galatia was different to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was different to Thessalonica. Thessalonica different to Philippi. When you come to each one of them, they are written for different reasons. You will find that the, the epistle to Galatia was specifically addressing a very serious problem that had come in to uh, the church in Galatia. Same with Romans. We are given a wonderful exposition, doctrinal exposition, in the epistle to the Romans and so on. Philip, the, the epistle to the Philippians, you begin to see something of why Paul is writing uh, to the reason for his writing to the church here and his thoughts on the church. You see that right at the beginning when Paul uh, introduces Timotheus, but he doesn't say Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not in question at Philippi. And he's writing more of a personal letter to the church at Philippi. So he just calls himself Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. It's more of a, a, a personal letter. And you begin to see something of the love that Paul has for the church at Philippi when you have the, the opening sal salutation from verses 1 to 11. You have the opening. Your first two verses are the sort of introduction, the, the initial salutation. But then he comes immediately and he begins to speak to the church of Philippi. And you immediately see how Paul loves the church there, what he thinks of it. As, as he, and so therefore you're beginning to get an idea, not only of what the church is like, but what the people in that church, the saints that are there are like. Now we can come to the first 11 verses or the next, uh, from verses 3 down to 11, the next nine verses of these, these nine verses. And you can see <clears throat> Paul's love. You can see much about what the church is like and how the church loves the apostle Paul. And you'll find many sermons that, that speak of that, Paul's, of, of how Paul and, and, and uh, he thought what he thought of the church there and how the church there loved him and, and everything. But I think this evening what we want to do is look at something else that you see in these verses. And that is, you see something of Paul's prayer life. When you come to these verses, you discover that there's an awful lot that we are told about Paul's prayer life. In fact, it, it may be that much of it, he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy, being confident. And he goes on 
how, how he, he loves to, he prays for them. That in verse 9, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. There is as much in these first verses about how Paul prays for the church at Philippi and his prayer life. And we want to look at that this evening for a short time. And there are three things that we find in verses 3 and 4. Three things, and all of them associated with Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi. First of all, it, 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 his prayer is born out of thanksgiving. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer. So in every time he prays, he's thanking. His, his prayer is born out of a thanksgiving for the church at Philippi. And then he says, in every prayer of mine for you all. So here is the Apostle Paul praying for the church at Philippi. And as he prays, what happens? He says, making request with joy. So his prayer is a most joyful exercise. It is born out of thanksgiving. It is prayer for making requests for them. And he does it with the greatest joy. So we want to look at these thing, three things. The thanksgiving that this prayer is born out of. The prayer itself, Paul praying, and the joy that it brings to his heart as he utters these prayers. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. This is when he's going to start praying. He, he's, it's as if when he begins to pray and when Phil, the church at Philippi comes into his mind, he can do nothing but give thanks to God for the church that is there. What a difference the church at, at Galatia. When he begins Galatia, he introduces himself and he's straight in there. Who hath bewitched you? There is nothing of this salutation. He's immediately in there because he has a great controversy with the church at Galatia. They were departing from the gospel. But now as he writes to the church at Philippi, he's writing about the fellowship of the gospel and how it, it, it brings him on his knees in prayer to make requests for them. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You think of Paul when he writes to the church at Rome. At the very beginning of that chapter, he talks about what happens when the nation and a people leave God. When a people forsake God, God forsakes them. What happens? What happens when, the, when, when, that, when that takes place? Well, they knowing God, they glorify him not. Neither are they thankful. Men know God. They don't know there is a God. They know the true God because the true God reveals himself from heaven. But yet, they glorify him not. That will be the condemnation that man has. That knowing God, they do not glorify him. And they are not thankful. And they will be condemned. So it is that, that uh, uh, the world is. It's not thankful to God. And neither does it bring them to prayer to God. Perhaps sometimes when people have something wrong, all of a sudden they pray. When there's trouble, all of a sudden they pray. But my friend, they're not praying. And they're not thankful. 
Saul himself was a Pharisee. And yet, when it says of him after he's converted, behold, he prayed. Saul is now thankful. Well, Paul here, as he writes, gives two things for which he is thankful with regards to the church at, at Philippi. And two things that we also have reason to be thankful this evening as we come into prayer meeting, we have reason to be thankful. Paul gives two reasons why. First of all, what God had done for them in the past. See how he says here, always in prayer, I thank my God upon every uh, remembrance of you for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul has, is, is saying that when he thinks about the church at Philippi, he thinks of what God has done for them, and it's a means of praising and thanking God. You think of all the blessings that every single one of us in here have had. Do we thank God for them? Well, you say, well, look at what Paul and the, the, the church at Philippi had. They had the Apostle Paul and all these blessings. My friend, it doesn't matter who we are in here. From the youngest to the oldest, we have reason to praise God for what God has done for, not just for, and I'm not just talking about uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and food and everything else. Paul is talking here about the, the, the spiritual blessings that the church at Philippi has had when he thinks back about on, on what they've had and what God has done for them. We have a great privilege, many of us, been born and brought up within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not something to praise God for? Is that not reason to give God thanks? Not that we have been born up in, in some pagan religion. Not that we've been born as a Muslim, an Islam. Not that we've been born in a Roman Catholic house. But we've been born and brought up, and God in his providence has brought us into God's house. You look back and think of how it is that we have reason today to thank God for everything that he has done for us. But not just what he had, that God had done for them, but what God could do for them in the future being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is, is speaking about those who have had a good work begun in them. Those whom God has brought to begin to see and to have fellowship in the gospel. And if it is a true work of God, then he's confident that God can do these things for us in the future. He can keep us. Not only will he bring us, but he, he, he will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. A work of, 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 of grace in the soul. If it is a, a true work of grace in the soul is the work of God, is the work of Jesus Christ. He begins it, and he will finish it. My friend, have you got reason to be thankful this evening? Not just because of what God has done, bringing us into God's house under the sound of the gospel, but what God can do even with that gospel when he begins 
a work of grace and to bless the word to you. And he brings you into his kingdom and then he keeps you and he will bring you into glory until the day of Jesus Christ. He can bring you into glory. What a wonderful reason the apostle has for giving thanks. For giving thanks. Because of what he has done in the church of Philippi. And what he can continue to do. My friend, what the Lord can do in Philippi, he can do in, in Edinburgh. He can do in Scotland. Same God. Because look at what he says here. Who is it that he's giving thanks to? He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank my God. I wonder if the, the apostle, first of all, blesses God. He starts there, doesn't he? We very often start here. We start below. We start with the church. And then we work our way back. Paul doesn't do that. Paul starts with God. My friend, whenever you're thinking about doctrine, whenever you're thinking about the Bible, whenever you're thinking about the gospel, begin with God. Don't begin with yourself. Don't begin with the church. The apostle Paul blesses God first. And then he blesses the church. Because the church is blessed by, the, by his God. And how wonderful that when, when, when the apostle says, uh, I, I thank my God. He is thanking the one who is not ignorant of all their needs. And if you think he begins the, 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 the epistle here with my God, think of how he concludes the epistle. Going back, going on to chapter four, he can, concludes the epistle by saying, I am content and whatever I have, I am content with everything that I, that I have. And I can do all things through Christ. He speaks about that. And, then he, and he speaks about how the church at Philippi had given him a present. They had given him. And they gave sacrificially to the apostle. We're told that in Paul's epistle of Corinthians that the church at Philippi sacrificially gave to God's cause by giving to the apostle. But what promise does the apostle give to the church at Philippi? Well, it's in chapter 4, verse 19. But my God, there it is, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Their giving to the apostle Paul out of their meager amount. But Paul gives them the, the, the assurance that out of the riches that are to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ, God will supply every need they have. So you see how at the end of the epistle, the apostle Paul is, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He comes in prayer and he knows that he's coming to my God. I thank my God, and my God shall supply all your needs. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't matter who we are, and it doesn't matter that we are not in Philippi, we are in Edinburgh, but it's the same God, it's the same one as the Apostle Paul says, my God, we are able to say, our God 
is able to supply our every need. Therefore, we can come in thanksgiving, thanking him not only for what he can do, for what he has done, but what he can do. Paul comes with thanksgiving to his God. He knew who he was coming to. And that brings us to, to recognize that the Apostle Paul, when he's thanking God for every remembrance and every, and every, every prayer of mine, praying for them that they would have grace, that's what the Apostle Paul is praying, that they would have grace. He knew the value of that because he knew grace himself. He knew the value of what it was to be following the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that when he prayed, he knew that he, he could come in thanksgiving and he would thank God, not that they had plenty of money, not that they had many goods, not that they were richer or anything else, but that they had the fellowship of the gospel and everything else. And he was able to say, I thank God for that because he knew himself the value of that. This is the apostle, remember, who persecuted the church, who was a Pharisee himself, who hated the Christians, went to arrest them, put them into prison. Now he has come on the road to Damascus in the experience that he had. And we don't all have Damascus Road experiences. We think maybe, you know, the Damascus Road experience is the normal. It's not. The Damascus Road experience is not necessarily the, the typical one. Very often, young people grow up within the church, and the Lord blesses them with the gospel. Little by little, they are brought into his kingdom. Maybe no great Damascus Road experience, but the apostle Paul knew after his experience on the Damascus Road, the value and how it was that he could thank God that the church at Philippi had been so blessed. And that's why, secondly, if he's coming in thanksgiving, he comes in prayer. He comes in prayer. Now, today in, 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 in Edinburgh, uh, Coming along the road, there's a Lothian bus. And on the side of the bus, there was a sign, try praying. Try praying. That's supposedly put there by Christian people. My friend, if they're Christian people, they're deceived. They're being deceived. A Muslim can try praying. It won't save them. You can pray to Allah. It won't save you. You can pray to the saints, the Virgin Mary. It won't save you. The Apostle Paul knew what it was, I'm sure, as a Pharisee to pray. But he wasn't praying. It was only after he was converted. Prayer was an evidence of God's rich mercy to him that he prayed. My friend, the Bible never says, try praying. The Bible says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The Apostle Paul, when he was in Philippi, he was asked the verse, very question, what must I do to be saved? That man never said, try praying. His answer wasn't try praying. That's a deception. Deceitful. 
because it's not a biblical principle at all. Men, women and children praying and thinking that they're okay because they pray. Prayer won't save anybody. But there's an evidence here of God's grace in the life of the apostle. It's an evidence that he has been touched by God's grace that he is already knowing. He says, I thank my God upon every remember. He knows exactly who he is praying to. And he knows what he's praying for, for your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day until now, thankful to God for God's rich grace. He now prays. And that prayer is full of thanksgiving. By prayer and thanksgiving, he says later on in, uh, in chapter 4, Jesus says, my house is the house of prayer, not a den of thieves. We need to know who we pray to. We need to know what we pray for. And Paul here is praying. He's praying, I'm sure, for individuals. Paul knew individuals in Philippi. He knew Lydia. I'm sure Paul's heart must have gone out to Lydia. She, there she was, a woman in, 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 in Philippi, and she's converted. And she opened her house to him. How Paul would have loved that woman, Lydia, who opened her home to the apostle. How he must have loved that, uh, that jailer who, who, who we are told when, when he, uh, he, he, the jailer washed his stripes, how he must have loved the Philippian jailer. He speaks later on in, in, in the, 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 the chapter uh, in, in, uh, about Eudias and Syntyche, individual women. He speaks about them in the, the, this epistle. You see, the Apostle Paul is interested in individuals. You particularly see that in his epistle, or his letter, it was his letter to Philemon. Philemon, a, a very uh, good Christian man who had, uh, the saints used to, as they passed by the house of Philemon, they would go in there and they'd be refreshed. He would speak to them about spiritual things. And he had a servant, Onesimus. And I think Onesimus gets fed up with listening to Paul and all these Christians coming in, and he took off. Onesimus, off he went. That was an, an offence that would bring death to a servant. Any servant in that day who abandoned his post would be worthy of death. Onesimus had listened to the gospel and all these people, and he, off he went to Rome. He was going to be free down in Rome. But of course, when he's down in Rome, in God's providence, who does he meet? The Apostle Paul. And he hears the exact same gospel at the lips of the Apostle Paul as he heard at home. But now the gospel is blessed to him. And he's gloriously converted. Everyone, that's wonderful, isn't it? You can... Hear the gospel at one place. You can hear it for many years. Some people, some young people go away from home. They go to church and lo and behold, they're converted. Onesimus was converted down in Rome. But there was a problem. He had to go back and make it right with Philemon. 
he was a servant. And he now had to go back and make it right with his master, Philemon. So what's he going to do? Paul writes this letter on his behalf. He says, as the aged, aged apostle Paul, I could command you to receive him back. But don't do that. Receive him back for love's sake. And whatever he owes you, lay that to my account. You can see Onesimus coming over the hill. And Philemon, see, well, there's that slave that disappeared. And he hands him the letter. And Paul says, receive him no longer now as a servant, but as a brother in Jesus Christ. You can almost see Philemon embracing this rebellious servant. You see, Paul had an interest in individuals. The gospel is for individuals. The gospel message is for you here this evening. The gospel message is for me. The gospel message is for all who hear the gospel. Young and old, rich or poor, it doesn't matter who they are. And Paul had an interest in individuals. But Paul also had an, an interest in the church at large. When he writes here, he writes to the church. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He's speaking there about the church and, and always in every prayer of mine for you all, making a request, every one of you, individually. Later on in, in chapter 4, he, he, he speaks there about how no church remembered him the way the church at Philippi remembered the apostle. The apostle loves not just individuals, he loves the church at Philippi. He's writing to the saints at Philippi, and he says, with the bishops and the deacons. Paul loves congregations. The Lord Jesus Christ loves congregations of his people who gather together in his name. God delights in the gates of Zion where God's people gather more than all the dwellings of Jacob. God loves it. And the apostle Paul loved it. Not just individuals, but the church corporate. And he's now praying for the church at Philippi. He's praying for them, yes, as individuals, but he's praying for them as a church. My friend, do you pray for the church in Arthur Street? <clears throat> yes, we pray for individuals. We pray for people who may be sick. We pray, pray for individual people that we may know that may need special prayer. But my friend, do we pray for the church in Arthur Street? The church that has just a new minister in Knightswood? The church that's over in Glasgow, in Partick, or the church in Arran? That we're associated with it. Do we pray for these churches, to these congregations? Paul gives us a wonderful example. In the name of Jesus Christ, how he always prayed for them. Every time he says, I thank thee, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, my friend. Think of the apostle Paul. He's imprisoned down in Rome. Now, he's not at this time manacled in, in a dungeon or anything. He's the, 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 the law of Rome in the city of Rome tended to go very slowly. So he was there and he could have people coming in to visit him. The 
ministry. Judas came and Timothy was there with him. And he could, but yet he was still waiting, waiting in Rome, waiting for the time when he would go before, before the, 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 the emperor and waiting when he would be put to death for the sake of the gospel. But there he is praying, praying in this place, writing to the church at Philippi. And I wonder if when he's writing there, he's remembering another time when he's in prison and he's singing, singing psalms in the midst of, middle of the night. I wonder when he's writing to, 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 to the church at Philippi that his mind goes back to the time when he's cast into prison and there he is with joy singing praises to the Lord, himself and Silas. You see, even in the midst of the most dire situation, the apostle Paul can be lifted up out of that situation. And in actual fact, be in triumph over it. You might have somebody, you know, try praying and you've got difficulty. So try praying and you sort of stoically say, well, that gives me a wee help here. That's not the apostle. Prayer to him was talking to God the Father, knowing that the Father would even overturn the situation that he was in to God's glory and for the good of the church. Think of what he says later on, but I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Paul is more than a conqueror, even in prison. And while he's imprisoned in Rome, he is able to pray to God the Father, knowing that God is able to do more for him than he could ever ask or think. And he's even able to overturn the situation to God's glory and for the good of God's cause. My friend, what better triumph can you have in this world than to be able to come to God the Father in Christ and to be more than conquerors. It takes you back almost to Paul and Silas in that first prison where everybody else, and we've mentioned this before, all the things that the, the jailer saw of Paul and Silas, all the things that they had that he didn't have. They had freedom. He was in bondage. They had a master that was so gracious to them that they could sing praises. He had Caesar. I can't remember how many, seven or eight different things that that, they, that jailer must have seen that they had that he didn't have. You see, even in the midst of that trial, they were victorious. Even now when Paul is down in Rome, he's victorious. He's thinking about, not himself, he's thinking about the church at Philippi. How often when we have trouble, we think about ourselves. We look inwards. We are concerned more about ourselves. We're taken up with ourselves. The apostle is in a far more dangerous position down in Rome than we ever face here. And yet, he's not looking to himself. He's looking to the church at Philippi and to the furtherance of the gospel. 
And that makes him victorious. That makes him more than a conqueror. Doesn't matter what Caesar may or may not do. It doesn't matter whether he's in prison. He can open up. He doesn't even need to go outside. He doesn't need to be like a Muslim taking a mat and pointing it towards Mecca. He doesn't need to do that. He doesn't need to go to a priest to ask someone to pray for him. Paul is imprisoned and heaven itself is open to him. He's more free than anybody else. He's more free than, 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 than Caesar is because heaven is open to him. And just finally then, joy. If that's thanksgiving, and that thanksgiving leads on to the prayer, what does the prayer lead on to? It leads on to great joy. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always, and every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. He's rejoicing. He's not even praying for something for himself, although it is. He's praying for them. He's praying for them that they would, he's praying and thankful that they have been partakers of the gospel. My friend, it's not rejoicing. When we hear of someone that partakes of the gospel, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it, to hear, to hear of someone. I heard of someone a few weeks ago becoming a partaker of the gospel. That rejoices the heart when someone becomes a, a partaker. How do you become a partaker of the gospel? What's Paul rejoicing in then? They have become a partaker of the gospel. How do you become a partaker of the gospel? By faith alone. That's how you come. That's it. Faith alone. Resting on Jesus Christ alone. You have people that will say to you, well, you can be a Christian and you must believe the Bible. And you must believe in Jesus Christ. And you must have faith. My friend, none of that is of itself true. Because you need the word alone. Faith alone. In Christ alone. Not in the church. Not in the virgin. Not in saints. Not in anything else. Not in lures. None of these things. In Christ alone. Bible alone, salvation alone, all these things. And Paul says they have become partakers of the gospel, the same gospel that he has partaken of, and therefore they are one with him in the gospel. And they will persevere, he says, that, 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 and, and being confident of this very thing which he hath begun the good work in you, will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. How can the Apostle Paul be absolutely assured of that? Well, he can't. There's a difference between the Apostle Paul looking at them and they themselves. The believer himself can come to that place where he is assured and comes to the place of assurance. Why? Because the Spirit, the working of the Spirit within it's the spirit whereby we are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. That is how the believer comes to know, by the working of the spirit within, convincing, converting, 
And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. How does the Apostle Paul know? Not because of the not because of anything in himself in the Holy Spirit, but because of the grace that is manifested with him. That is how it is. There is a, a difference between man speaking about himself, where it is the spirit witnessing with our spirit that we are the children of God. And the apostle Paul speaking of the witness of the grace that that brings. How wonderful that the apostle Paul was confident. He was confident that our work had begun in them. And that that work had been begun by Jesus Christ. That it was a work of the spirit in the soul. And that it was being manifested by them. By the grace that they had shown. It was a wonderful that he was able to say he was confident. That the Lord who had begun that good work would finish it. And would continue with it. And perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. And that's true today, isn't it? That is true today. We see those who come to the Lord and persevere and they, they run the race and they come to the end. And it's what we say when we say there is hope. There is hope when someone begins to run. There is hope for the sinner. When we see grace beginning to work in someone, then you say, there's hope there for that sinner. And we can be confident, if that's a work of God's grace, then the Lord himself will finish it. Paul loved the church at Philippi. You see that in the way he begins to pray for them, how he begins to bring his own petitions to the Lord. Every time he says, I come before the Lord, Philippi comes into his mind and he thanks God for them. Do we thank God for God's people gathered here? Lord's day by Lord's day, prayer meeting by prayer meeting. Do we pray and thank him for all the blessings we receive. Ivor, please lead us in a word of prayer. Let us pray.